What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FamilyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob, hanging out talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. It's the last day of vacation. Had a lot of fun. Went to four Indians games this week, Bob, and I only saw one win, so I'm a little disappointed about that. But it was still fun to go to all these games, not have to go to work, but man, tomorrow's going to be a rude awakening. It's it's always it's always sobering up time when you got to go back to work after 10 days off. So, uh yeah, not looking forward to that, but it's been 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 a fun fun week off and and hey, I don't want to get the wrong impression. I love my job, but it's just like anything else, man. You got to got to go back to work after after a nice relaxing time off. Yeah, definitely, and, you know, I I was what I said to you off mic was, you know, it's a sign of a successful vacation when you don't want to return to work. So, congratulations to you. Thank you. Um <laughs> And also uh, a happy birthday as well. Thank you. Uh, to you. My birthday present tomorrow is I get to go back to work, so that'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, Chris, we are um, approaching the the dog days of sports summer um, with with the MLB All Star Game right around the corner. Uh, you know, not a lot of actual games to to talk about uh, in in the the Cleveland sports that we do follow. So. Um, this is going to be a little bit more of a, a a podcast, not really attached to 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 the happenings of the sports, and we figured we're going to talk about the future of two of the Cleveland franchises, in particular the the young stars, the young cornerstones of these franchises, and the Cleveland Browns and Cleveland Cavaliers, both selecting high draft choices. Baker Mayfield getting selected first overall with the Cleveland Browns and Cleveland Cavaliers selecting Colin Sexton, eighth overall. Um, Sexton, obviously, the first draft pick selected for Cleveland after LeBron James has left, so a lot of weight on his shoulders as well. Um, and, and Baker Mayfield, the 20-something quarterback that the, uh, Cleveland is pinning their hopes on since returning as a franchise in 1999, um, and hoping to get to the postseason for at least a second time uh, since coming back in, in 1999. So a lot of pressure on these two young rookies, Chris. Um, and, and the the question of this podcast is, who, uh, in your opinion, has the brighter future? It's a very good question. This is a very tough question because I think both prospects have very high ceilings. But I also think both prospects have a room to to bust. Uh, their floor may not be super high, if that makes sense. Uh, But I'm going to take the prospect that I think has the higher floor, and that would be the young bull, Colin Sexton. And here's why, for a couple of reasons. One, right off the bat, with LeBron James leaving, Colin Sexton is going to be looked to as someone who needs to contribute significantly in his rookie year. Uh, Just like Kyrie Irving was looked to... um, Colin Sexton may not be a number one overall pick, but he's coming into an environment where he's going to have to play like one of the top picks in the draft or play like a number one overall pick because LeBron James is no longer here. Had LeBron James stayed with the Cleveland Cavaliers, I don't know who I would pick because I'm not sure who right off the bat 
would get that opportunity to be a superstar. And so I think Colin Sexton right now has a built-in advantage because I know Colin Sexton is going to be on the floor come opening tip. He is going to be looked to as someone to, to grow and be given a chance to develop. Baker Mayfield, I, I don't even know if he's going to play quarterback this year with Tyrod Taylor um, pushing him down the depth chart. Now, that might be a good thing overall for Baker, but but right now, I, I think Colin Sexton definitely has the inside track in getting out there, showing what he can do, and possibly stealing sort of the headlines that LeBron James left uh, in Cleveland. Because there's a, a LeBron James-sized void in the world of Cleveland sports. And someone can step up and fill that by being a megastar. And I think Colin Sexton has superstar potential. I also think the road to being a superstar is easier in the NBA than it is in the NFL, even for a starting quarterback. Though Baker Mayfield comes in with a big name, I think if he plays well, he'll get there. Um, but I do think it's easier to be a big name in the NBA than it is in baseball or, bat- or football. Uh, so, so if you're asking me who has the brighter future, I think Colin Sexton is going into an environment that is has won before and knows how to win and has developed some rookies in the past. Kyrie Irving, uh, I don't know if LeBron James <laughs> needed any development. He came in ready. But point being, I, I, think, I think the fact that he's coming into an organization with a little more stability, a little more success, and is going to have a chance to really develop right off the bat um, I would give the nod to Colin Sexton. Yeah, I see where you're coming from on that. Um, and obviously, like I, I hope that both of these players reach their full potential because um, I'm a fan of both these teams. Um, but I, I, I do have to disagree a little bit, and it, I think it comes down to how you're framing, framing the expectations. And for Colin Sexton, you know, you you, you alluded to it. There is a LeBron James sized void uh in cleveland and particularly in with the cleveland cavaliers and if we remember just how atrocious the Cavs were in the four years without him the last time he left you know i i i'm expecting some some dark times now that there are there's reason to hope and to hope for hope to come a little bit quicker because yes i do think the Cavs are positioned uh much more for future growth and development than they were in 2010 and a lot of that has to do with Colin Sexton but I think it's going to be a a, a long road and and Colin Sexton is a very raw player a player that still needs to develop a jump shot still needs to develop um, the playmaking side of his game as in like actually being an NBA point guard and and setting up his teammates and I, I do think that it's going to be it's going to be an uphill battle for him I, I you're right he's going to get a lot of minutes and a lot of playing time and he's going to get um looked to 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 provide a lot of offense because lebron has left um but it's going to be tough for him and and i I look at the at the cleveland browns and and with baker mayfield and and chris the bar has been set so low for baker mayfield to be successful he's a number one pick and he's a number one drafted quarterback that usually that comes with an immense amount of pressure and for any Cleveland Browns quarterback that has been drafted, yes, they've felt that pressure, but all you have to do to be deemed a success for the as a starting Cleveland Browns quarterback is to get to 500 in like two consecutive seasons. And I think Baker Mayfield would, you know, be 
be riding high. And with LeBron out of the city, if Baker Mayfield, even if he doesn't play a game this year, if he starts in year two and he gets the Browns to, to 500 or better in that season, he, he will be the king of Cleveland already. And there will be, uh, you know, he, 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 he will own the city. And, you know, I, I look at these two players and their college careers, and I don't think there's much of comparison if you look at that. You know, Baker Mayfield being a two-time Heisman candidate and winning it in his senior year. Um, Colin Sexton was a fine player, but Mayfield got all the accolades, won a ton of games at Oklahoma. I just think that there is reason to hope, especially um, considering the uh, the arsenal of skill players that the Browns have assembled around him. I do think that there's reason that, you know, I'm not saying Baker Mayfield is going to be an all pro quarterback, but I do think the Browns are set up to actually have relative to, to prior Brown seasons, uh, a good amount of success in the years to come. And that's going to come with Baker Mayfield as quarterback. And because we've had such a terrible football town for, for 20 years, um, Baker Mayfield is going to get a very easy pass. Yeah, I, I do think Baker has the big advantage of playing for what is the most popular team in Cleveland. Look, I don't like that this city has this love for the Browns that can kind of see through almost anything, though I do think that love has been tested severely in the last two years, um, especially when other two teams like the Indians and the Cavs have had infinitely more success. But it, but it's a fact. I mean, this is a Browns town. And so if Baker Mayfield plays well, you're right, Bob, the bar has been set very low. And he would be the man if he can finally solve that quarterback problem. Whenever Baker Mayfield starts, and he will start eventually, he will be at least the 30th different quarterback to play for Cleveland since 1999. Tyrod Taylor is already number 29. That right there gives me pause. Because the key to Baker Mayfield being the man is him playing well. And if I'm looking at the track record of the Cleveland Browns and quarterbacks, it's terrible. And I hope with all my heart that Baker Mayfield changes it or Tyrod Taylor or heck, even, you know, whoever. I don't care what the name is, but those are the two guys who have the best shot at doing it. But Bob, I'm just looking at, at all the names that have come through here and... It's not good. And I'm looking at Hugh Jackson, who is supposed to be this quarterback whisperer. He needs to talk a little louder. I think he needs to be more of a quarterback yeller instead of a whisperer because they're not hearing him. I mean, the quarterbacks he's coached the last two years have not developed appropriately for my taste. So I've got some problems with the situation Baker Mayfield is in. And there's a lot of questions that have to be answered. And yes, Bob, the bar is low. By NFL standards, 8-8 eight and eight shouldn't be hard. But for, for the Browns, that's a Herculean effort because they've only been 500 or better twice in, in, since 1999. So that is why I'm going with the safe pick in, in, in Colin Sexton here because I, I believe that the Cavs are, even if they trade Kevin Love and reset this, are in better position to allow Colin Sexton to become the, 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 the NBA player he's supposed to be. I'm not confident that the Browns can get the full potential out of Baker Mayfield given what they've done for the last two decades. Again, Bob, I think we're both in the same boat. 
We both want these guys to be megastars because that would be awesome. But if I'm looking at this logically and if I'm looking at the track records, I, I, I just think the young bull is in a better situation from a culture standpoint that he is in a better position to reach his full potential and be the better player. I don't know if Baker Mayfield uh, can solve what's really ailing the Browns. I think the Browns as an organization have to really show that they're capable of developing players before I can you know, buy in to this team being successful. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of putting the debate aside. I, I, I think that it's it's easy. It'll probably be easier for Colin Sexton, just because it is, you know, th- there's always the debate of you can get 20 points in the NBA and average that on a bad team and be named an All Star. Um, that's kind of what Kyrie Irving did for three years before LeBron came. I, I think that I don't think the Cavs have. A great infrastructure in place I don't think that they're very I don't think they're at a, a top of the league organization like the Spurs or um, the Celtics are um, they they just had LeBron James for a long time and had some success building around that you know without LeBron the Cavs also suffered a, a long spell of an of ineptitude um, but it's easier for they're not going to actively the decisions that the Cavs make in the personnel that they surround Colin Sexton with isn't going to actively hinder his game whereas with football and 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 the Browns you know Mayfield needs to have wide receivers he needs to have good coaching good play calling he needs to have an offensive line Um, there's so many more factors that could actively impede his game despite the 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 talent and skill set that he has so I will give you that point but um I do think that Mayfield, I, I think, has a, a larger ceiling than Colin Sexton. And I think, you know, the expectations um, the expectations are lower for Baker Mayfield. And I, I do think he can very easily uh, excel past that. And I think that um, this Browns team actually has the talent on offense to, to give him that, at least in the short term, in the next three years. Um, you know, I, I read a ranking of every off NFL offenses, skill players and, and how they stack up. And the Browns are actually in the top half. I mean, they have a, a diverse range of wide receivers, tight ends and, and, and running backs that Mayfield can work with. So uh, for once, uh, there is some hope that Mayfield or that any quarterback with the Browns can have some success. Uh, I think that that guy would be Baker Mayfield in the long term. Um, but yeah. With, with football, there are so many factors that play into it. It, it. it will be hard for him, for sure. So I have two questions for you, Bob. Um, first and foremost, do you think Baker Mayfield will even see the field this year? Because Tyra Taylor is no slouch. And second, along those lines, do you think it would serve Colin Sexton well for the Cavs to hold on to George Hill, who may not have as high of a ceiling as Colin Sexton did, but is a point guard of that kind of a mold to learn from? Uh, so, so the one that I think is easier is, um, yeah, you're going to hold on to George Hill to the trade deadline, and then you're going to ship him off. Um, essentially, he has that expiring deal, right? There's only a million dollars guaranteed uh, in, in the next season, and he's making about $19 million this year. So you get him for about half a season to be in that mentoring role. Now, Colin Sexton, I think, is already penciled in as the starting point guard, and uh, you know, 
if summer league is any indication, I think that's probably deserving and, and the right choice. But yeah, I think George Hill can, can offer a lot um, in the short term, but you got to flip that for some assets and, and, and look to the future. So I think that's a good middle ground for that. Um, the bigger question is the, is with the Browns and Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield. I, I do think we'll see Mayfield on the field at some point um, just because the, the realities of football is that, you know, any player starting all 16 games is, is, uh, is, a you know, you're playing against some, some, some bad odds there. So I, I do think Mayfield will see the field. I don't think it's because he's outperforming Tyrod Taylor. I think Taylor is good enough in Mayfield's rookie season to command that starting role, but I do think we'll see him on the field. Um, I definitely think year two, um, in 2019 Mayfield will be the starter though. Oh yeah, I definitely agree with that because Tyrod Taylor will be a free agent next year. He knows that there's a guy breathing down his back. He, there's no illusions that you know he is the long-term solution for the Cleveland Browns. He he had a great track record in Buffalo, and all accounts point to him being a good teammate. He knows what he's getting involved in, and he knows if he plays very well, he can set himself up to hit the open market and possibly get a... Um, a Mike Glennon-like deal. Um, and I'm not saying Tyrod Taylor is Mike Glennon. I'm just saying if a guy like Mike Glennon can go out in the open market and get about $15 million per season, if Tyrod Taylor plays well, he has got a nice resume that could help any team who's in, who's in a desperate quarterback situation, and there's about 24 of them any given year. So uh, Tyrod Taylor has a, has a huge opportunity to, to bolster his own uh, worth. Um, the, the, so... I, I think that given that Tyrod Taylor had played so well with Buffalo, I, I agree with you, Bob. Baker Mayfield will see the field most likely in limited action. I, I think this is ty- kind of Tyrod Taylor's year. But I don't think that's a bad thing for Baker Mayfield's development because I, I don't think Baker Mayfield is ready to step onto the field day one and lead the team. I, I would prefer him to learn from Tyrod Taylor and really develop – and see the game and learn how to prepare and, and get some, a lot of reps watching Tyrod Taylor before he's thrown into the fire. So, so I do think that, that that works in Baker Mayfield's favor. What works against him, though, is that the Browns always find a way to screw up their quarterbacks. Yeah, very true. I mean, over the last three years, Tyrod Taylor started in at least 14 games uh, all three years, but this is probably the year where, uh, you know, pulls a Josh McCowan on the first drive gets concussed and and then we start that downward spiral of four or five quarterbacks starting for the Drew Stanton era begins come on man don't sleep (laughs) on him we haven't even talked about big old Drew man come on (laughs) yeah if from from everything I'm seeing it seems like the Browns are pretty insistent on Mayfield getting some time to breathe and and develop so I, I I think even if Taylor goes down early on in the season, I do think Drew Stanton would, would, would be the first guy to come out onto the field. Now, if that can all change in, in training camp, right, and that can change uh, in preseason, I mean, it's not unheard of, of of highly drafted quarterbacks seizing the reins of that starting job so early on um, and and for a team to pivot, even though they have in all intentions of, of, of benching him for the first season. But... Um, with a guy like Taylor and his track record and his reliability, um, injuries aside, I, I, I think it's going to be hard for Mayfield to just be outright 
name the starter. Yeah, Matt Flynn versus Russell Wilson, who Russell Wilson, a third-round pick, not even number one overall, uh, is the the most prime example of that. Uh, I, I agree with you, Bob. I, I think Tyrod Taylor is more than likely going to win the job. But to kind of pivot back, I, I, I just keep coming back to Colin Sexton, and, and you mentioned that it is easy to look like you're a superstar scoring 20 points a game on a bad team, getting those all-star nods. I, I think Colin Sexton benefits – from just the natural setup of the NBA. He benefits from playing on a team that it, it has a better culture and, and understands how to win. And I just think that he is set up in a better position to reach his full potential than Baker Mayfield. But I agree with you here that if Baker Mayfield overcomes and the Browns organization has finally gotten things right, he... If he were to reach his full potential, it's not even close. He would be the man in Cleveland because Cleveland is desperately looking for a quarterback to rally around, and Baker Mayfield has all those sort of things that I think people in this city would like if he turns this team into a winner. You also got that moxie, you know, and and that marketability. You know, don't call him Moxie Mayfield for 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 no reason. Sexton definitely has the better nickname. Yeah, young, young Bull, Bull man, uh, that's a good one. That's. Can you imagine if he was That's drafted really by the Chicago Bulls? That would be kind of kind of cool, actually. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, but I, I like it. I think that's like a, I think that fits really well with Cleveland. Definitely. I I think I don't think that, I don't think we want either of us to lose this debate, though, Bob. I mean, we we I I personally I I want both these guys to be excellent because then we'll have the Browns playing well and the Cavs playing well to go along with our tribe who is giving us some very good baseball over the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. I think the the success of both these players would be indicative of long-term success for the teams they play on. So obviously I want both of us to be right. No question there. All right. Well, tabling that debate and, uh, you know, I was just thinking earlier, like we're, we're approaching a little bit of a dry spell you know the all-star game uh, in MLB signals you know that there's really only one big time sport happening and and um, it, it's just baseball for a little bit but that does mean football is right around the corners and uh, basketball seems to never stop so I'm, I'm sure we'll be talking about Cavs and Browns games really really shortly but Chris uh, Cleveland Indians uh, split their weekend series uh, 2-2 with the New York Yankees uh, and, and wrapped up their for the first leg of the season heading into uh, this week's All-Star game in Washington and with a uh, uh, last-minute replacement, injury replacement of Jan Gomes making the All-Star team, Chris, Indians now have six players named to their roster. Corey Kluber, who won't be pitching due to, uh, I believe, hamstring tightness, uh, Trevor Bauer, Jan Gomes, Michael Brantley, Francisco Lindor, and Jose Ramirez. Uh, Ramirez, who who was named voted in as a starter at third base, um, Chris, are are you surprised at uh, the number of All Stars that the Indians got? Um, do you think there are any omissions in that? Um, what what are your thoughts on the All Star roster? A little surprised they got two pitchers, but but totally deserving. Uh, Bauer and Kluber both deserved uh, their All Star nods. Bauer also probably won't pitch on Tuesday because he pitched outstanding today. Didn't get the win because Carlos Carrasco came in relief and. 
they scored all the runs in the bottom of the eighth to take the lead. So Carrasco actually got the win uh, today. So that's the second time this week Bauer has pitched phenomenal deep into the game and uh, just came away with a tough lucker. That that one on Tuesday was was terrible, giving up seven runs to the red in the top of the ninth. I was at that game. Uh, so so both both pitchers totally deserving of it. Um, I'm glad that they gave Michael Brantley an all-star nod. Uh, he's had a fantastic season, proving me very wrong for advocating not picking up that option. Uh, obviously, that, that was a brilliant move by the front office, and he is just you know they're reaping the rewards of of a rejuvenized Michael Brantley so uh definitely on track to win comeback player of the year uh in, in, in baseball having an outstanding season getting back to the all-star game after being one year removed um from from sort of uh, an injury that injured his season and then of course Lindor and Ramirez what more can you say about them Ramirez is 29 home runs already Bob I mean you're going into the all-star break uh, basically first half of the season, a little more than first half of the season, already at about 30 home runs. Bob, he's on pace to hit 50. That's insane. Everyone talks about Judge and Stanton, but Jose Ramirez is putting up big-time MVP numbers, and so is Francisco Lindor. You got Edwin also over 20 home runs, but uh, those two guys, uh, Lindor and Ramirez, with their defense, with their offense, just just all around the epitome of five-tool players, um, they, they are they are having outstanding seasons, and I'm glad that that Jan Gomes got the nod just because I know his batting average is only about 260, but he is the best defensive catcher in the American League, and I, I am glad that as an as an injury replacement that was uh, sort of a tip of the cap to his defense, uh, because I think a lot of times the catchers initially are chosen based more on their offensive statistics, especially in the fan vote. But but I'm glad that the injury replacement they were able to tip their cap to Jan Gomes because he he's one of the best uh, defensive catchers in the majors and his batting average was good enough to warrant uh, the selection uh, if you kind of account for the fact that he plays catcher. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, start starting with Jan Gomes. Um, you know, offensively, I mean, he's in top ten in, in most offensive categories in the American League um, for, for catchers. So. Um, I, I certainly think it's deserving, and then you factor in the the defensive side of it as well. Um, makes a lot of sense. Um, and then Michael Brantley, you know, this is his second straight year making the All Star roster. Um, last year, I thought it was a bit of a head scratcher. This year, I think it's a little bit more well deserved. Um, and you know, he he is in the top five and, and top ten in just about every offensive category: batting average, RBIs, home runs, and, and, and doubles. So. Um, outfield in the American League, at least, is, I mean, I, I do think it's a little bit thin. Um, not like the infield where, I mean, you probably have five shortstops that could be could make this all-star roster. Um, thankfully, we have one of the two best shortstops from Francisco Lindor, and I think that was well-deserved, uh, obviously, for Lindor to make it. Um, Jose Ramirez, for me, um, I think it's going to be, I, I'm anticipating um, the shame of him not, if he continues this season, I'm anticipating the shame of him not winning MVP because he has just been fantastic. And I think there are some other bigger name players that are probably going to um, over overtake him um, in, in recognition. But um, for, for him to, to, in one half, have 29 home runs and 19 RBIs, 70, not 19 stolen bases and 70 RBIs, um, you know, he, he, he could 
uh, reached the 40-40 club, 40 home runs and 40 stolen bases, um, and yeah, 40 doubles as well. Um, he, he's just having an amazing season, and, and I think um, he deserves everything that any award that is going to be given to him, he deserves it. And it's it's just mind-boggling that this five foot nine switch hitting guy is is out slugging um, you know th- th- those those monsters that the Yankees have in, in, in Judge and Stanton. Um, Ramirez has just been amazing and has had an amazing first half of the season. No, I totally agree. I think Jose Ramirez is is one of the favorites to win MVP. Uh, you, you can't overlook Aaron Judge. <laughs> You know, I know he plays for the Yankees. Nobody likes the Yankees except Yankees fans, but but he's also having a good season. Not there average-wise, but he plays a very good outfield, and he hits a lot of home runs, and he plays in a bigger market. I think that's the guy you're alluding to, Bob. But what I will say is this. Jose Ramirez, if he's sitting there with 50 home runs, 40 stolen bases, um, you know, 50 doubles, 100 RBIs, and he's hitting over 310. And he plays a gold glove third base. I don't see how he loses MVP. I'm sorry. All due respect to Mike Trout. All due respect to Aaron Judge. This isn't the NBA or the NFL. Your team record doesn't have as much to do with MVP as it does in those other sports. Really, it's hard for a non-playoff guy to win it. If you're in the playoffs, that's really all you got to do. They don't look at team record as closely as they do in those other sports. So the fact that that the Indians will be the sort of third division winner, I don't think will hurt Jose Ramirez. If he does all that, I, I, I think he wins MVP, period. End of debate, end of story. If he's at 50 with 40 steals, 100 RBIs, and a gold glove third base, maybe even a platinum glove, I don't know. He's MVP, Bob. I think he's got it in the bag if he does that in the second half. It would take a Herculean effort from Judge and Trout to overcome all of that. He would be, in my eyes, the best player in the league. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with you uh, 100%. Um, I'm actually looking at Mookie Betts as probably his his biggest rival in, in terms of offensive output. Um, Betts is just about there. Um, Ramirez has him beat. Um, a little bit in home runs and RBIs, but um, Betts has, has a much higher batting average, and they're about neck and neck in stolen bases and doubles. So um, I, I do think it's going to come down to Betts, Trout, and Ramirez. Maybe Judge if he has a second, a, a great second half. Um, but you're alluding to um, the complete package, and, and Jose Ramirez is definitely that. Um, if you look at defensive wins above replacement, I believe um, he, he's he's well. Well, it is ranked well above either of those guys. So defensively, I think Ramirez um, is much more of a contributor. Um, I just think the name of Trout and then Betts being the, the best player and um, offensively very close to Ramirez on, on the division leading Boston Red Sox, I, I do think it's going to be tough for Ramirez to take home the MVP. But if I were to give an MVP trophy out midseason, it, it would absolutely go to Jose Ramirez just for that the the amazing stat line that he's put up so far yeah looking at Mookie Betts though that that is going to be a tough challenge or a 367 average is nothing to scoff at and that that could be worth 10 home runs if Mookie continues on his pace he's got 23 40 home runs with the 350 plus 350 average would make that a very close race uh so 
obviously something to look at very closely. And, and when, when you get close, then team record and market kind of play in. So Mookie Betts would have those advantages over Jose Ramirez. But there's still about, what, 60, 70 games to play. A lot can happen between now and the end of the year. That's both a good and a bad thing for Jose Ramirez. If he keeps doing what he's doing, controls what he can control, that's all he can do. MVP or no MVP, if he continues to do what he's doing, he's going to have an outstanding season. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, all right, well, Chris, I mean, this is a good time for, for reflection, um, you know, heading into the All-Star break. How, how uh, evaluate the first leg of the season for the Indians and what do they have to do in the second leg uh, to, to win this uh, division title? Well, anytime you're seven and a half games up on the division, I don't care what division you play in, that's a good thing. Uh, obviously, the 52 wins when you're looking at the other playoff teams would be the weakest among them. In fact, there are uh, five other teams with better win total than the Cleveland Indians. So one of those teams would be shut out because of the Indians' fortunate division setting. But hey, that's just the way the dice roll sometimes. And they're, they're, they're up seven and a half games, so you can't really fault them too hard for their first half. You can't really call it a disappointment. But I do think it is slightly disappointing, given that some of these other big-time contenders have hit 60 wins. I think this Indians roster is capable of being at the 60-win mark right now. And, and, and that's a very encouraging sign that they've had such a great first half, but still have room to grow. And I think that the issues they need to fix are not in, not overly you know significant. I think that they can go out and get a reliever or two to shore up the back end of the bullpen. We talked about this last week on our podcast. Uh, you know, I think big picture they definitely need to make some moves. But if you're talking winning the division, all they really have to do is keep doing what they're doing. They're going to crush this division. They're up seven and a half games. Their competition is just in a whole different league than the Indians. They are the clear class of this division. They don't have to worry about losing their division. I think they have to keep their eye on the big prize, and I'm confident in this front office to make some moves over the next two weeks to improve this ball club. Yeah, I, I agree that the Indians are definitely capable of you know, having one of the, the best records in all of baseball. Um, they, they've just been plagued by a very inconsistent bullpen. Um, you know, they have six all-stars. Notice none of them were relief pitchers. They have two all-star all starting pitchers, um, four all-stars uh, position players. Like the, the offense is there. You know, we've talked about the, the home run power of Ramirez and, and Lindor and that the, the def defensive prowess of them. It all comes down to that bullpen. So uh, I'm looking for more of the same from the starting pitching. Um, it seems like they have a... a, a somebody finally solidifying that number five spot and Shane Bieber Clevenger has uh, had a great sophomore campaign um, so they, they have their five guys in starting pitching and they've been relatively healthy they have the bats they just need to to make some moves and, and fix that bullpen um, and and even so you know they, they show that they could they, they can easily coast in into first place in the central to, and take home the, the the central division even if they don't fix the bullpen um, but if they go out and make some moves and, and do right the ship uh, in, in the back end, uh, I think they're, they'll set themselves up to uh, not only improve their record and, and, and compete for um, you know one of the better records in the second half, but also head into the postseason um, for contention. 
Yeah, and I, I am confident that they will make those moves, Bob. You know, Chris Antonetti, in his two years as running the whole show, has shown that he's willing to strike while the iron's hot. The moves they made in 2016, going out and signing Edwin Encarnacion, then that art offseason, he understands that they've got a window. They've got a very special group of talent on the offense and in the starting pitching. They are not going to let a couple of weaknesses uh, hold them back from, from doing something that hasn't been done now in 70 years, and that's bringing a world championship to Cleveland. So I'm confident they're going to make moves. It might not be the big stars that fans want, but we, they've shown in the past that it doesn't necessarily have to be a super big name to make a big impact. Um, though Andrew Miller certainly was a big name and he made an epic impact. Which, by the way, Bob, one of the reasons the bullpen has been struggling is because guys like Andrew Miller, Tyler Olson have been snake bit by injuries. Dan Otero, a little inconsistent this year. You know, Cody Allen, I know he had a, a bad week, big meltdown on Tuesday, and he struggled a little bit. But Cody Allen is still one of the most consistent relievers in the league. And he's really the only one who has, from last year, who's come in and and done what he's supposed to do. Thank goodness for Oliver Perez and and Neil Ramirez for finding them off the, the waiver heap and bringing them in because those guys have really you know held down the fort while, while, while the Indians try to get healthy. I, I do think if Andrew Miller comes back healthy, Tyler Olson comes back healthy with those two guys and maybe one guy added through the trade deadline, that bullpen will even itself out. And then getting Josh Tomlin out of the rotation, Bob, I think that's probably the difference between having 58 wins and 52 right there. I mean, I think if Plutko and Bieber had been pitching a little earlier, um, they may have picked up four or five wins. Yeah, for sure. Um, Josh Tomlin, unfortunately, um, had a had a rough first half, and he, he's on the DL now. So um, I'm glad that they have figured out what to do with, with, with his uh, roster spot. Yeah. Um, and Andrew Miller uh, set to start rehabbing on an assignment um, in Columbus. So, um, yeah, hopefully he comes back and, and, and they add a couple more arms back there and they should be good to go. Because um, I did want to talk really quickly about a couple former Indians in the All-Star game. First off, Shinsu Chu at age 35, um, you know, the former Indian, uh, set to make his first All-Star game appearance um, and is currently owner of a 51-game on-base uh, streak that uh, he continued today so he'll he'll pick that up after the all-star game so pretty fantastic that at age 35 um, you know he was on on those teams one of my favorite players so good to see him and then Jesus Aguilar uh, winning the fan vote as the last all-star named to the National League uh, he, he came up through the Indians organization was a call-up for a few years plays first base um, is a power hitter um, and the Indians let him go when they signed Edwin Encarnacion, and now he's having, at age 28, a, a breakout year, hitting 24 home runs, 70 RBIs, and 298 batting average. So kind of uh, hate to see him slip through the cracks, but um, obviously they, they um, thought they were set at first base with Encarnacion there. Um, but interesting uh, story for, for those two Indians making the All-Star game, or former Indians. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Aguilar hurts a little bit because, Bob, I remember seeing him uh, in the minors and then come up in September. I'm like, man, this guy can hit. I can't wait to see him develop. And, and then every time he reached the majors, he just looked overwhelmed and kind of like, you know, an Andy Marte or Matt Laporta. And, and, and I, 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 
I, I am so happy that he's having success because you know every time you watch him, you're like, man, this guy just has so much potential. Um, unfortunately, he's realizing it with another team, but it's good to see that he landed in a good spot and and kind of put things together. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think in Triple A, he he led the league in home runs and RBIs for a couple of seasons, but every time he would come up, he just couldn't hit the ball for anything. But sometimes it's just a change of scenery that they need. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is. I mean, you you see you see a lot of things. Brandon Phillips, you know, when you know, that that was a little different reason. You know, kind of a little culture clash there. But but yeah, a lot of these guys sometimes you know don't doesn't work out for whatever reason with their first team. And uh, you know, Jesus Aguilar uh, definitely um, definitely starting to grow into his potential. Yeah, for sure. All righty, man. Well, I am very much looking forward to the All-Star game on Tuesday because uh, six Cleveland Indians will be there. Two of them pr- won't play, Kluber and Bauer, but um, still good to see the Tribe well represented for what in all accounts is a strong first half, and uh, hopefully it's an even better second half on the way, and hopefully the Browns and the Cavs will, uh, you know, those young guys will develop and, and, and turn them into strong organizations, finally, uh, in the case of the Browns. But that is all the time we have this week on Clee Talk. Please come back next week and every week for another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. You can subscribe to our podcast via iTunes. Search Fenley Road Sports. Click Clee Talk. It's just that simple. Or you can go to FenleyRoadSports.com and not only catch up on all our old episodes of Clee Talk, but you can subscribe by clicking the icon in the upper right-hand corner. It's just that simple. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fenley Road Sports. And come back next week and every week for another episode of Cleet Talk, where we break down all of your Cleveland sports needs here on one podcast. But until then, go Tribe All-Stars, bring home a win, even though it doesn't mean home field in the World Series. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.